Hi, and welcome to Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feld. A cancer diagnosis is one of the hardest slap in the face imaginable. All of a sudden, you have to become an expert in cancer and its treatments because your life depends on it. Oncologists, family, and friends are pushing you towards chemo, radiation, surgery, and yet you feel there are additional solutions out there. You don't feel confident in that only traditional therapies will take care of it. You may, as I have, seen family or friends quickly go downhill from harsh medical treatments. There is a better way. I invite you to listen to stories from real people fighting cancer successfully through powerful, integrative, and holistic methods. Learn what they did. This is my gift to you to make the learning curve less steep after your diagnosis. The information this podcast could save your life as it has others. Well, I am here today with uh, James Templeton. Thank you so much for joining me on Integrative Cancer Solution with Dr. Carl Feld. Well, it's great to be with you today. I'm really excited to hear about your story because you are a cancer stage four cancer survivor and you are here 30 years later telling the story. Actually, uh, Dr. Carvel, it's been, this year will be 37 years. 37 years. Yeah, see, what medical doctors say, they, they look at success if they get you to live five years, you know, beyond diagnosis. Right, right. And, and obviously, you beat those odds. Yeah. I hear these stories about people. They say, well, this guy survived for four years and this and that. And he went through conventional medicine treatments or this or that. But I'm kind of like, you know, hold your breath here. So anyway, I mean, not to scare people, but, you know, you get... (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You're, here, hold my beer, and then you'll tell the story. Is that what you're Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. So tell me a little bit about hap- what happened. I mean, you, you're you living an active life, married. You know, tell mm-hmm. me a little bit kind of how it all led up to your diagnosis. Well, you know, I was, I'm a Texan. I'm a fifth-generation Texan, and uh, I was living in Texas at the time, and I, I was a very successful young entrepreneur and I had several businesses and I had a wife and a little daughter that wasn't quite two years old. And I had several, several of these businesses and, you know, I worked all the time and uh, I just thought everything was going pretty good. And I even ran a lot. I was one of these runners that you'd see, you know, running, running everywhere around town and on the highways and this and that. And I guess I thought that I was going to stave off this heart disease that my father and grandfather died from at a very early age. My father at 46 and and his father at 36. Of course, way back then, they probably didn't have all the the technology and the and the things that we have nowadays to detect things. But again, you know, that's what happened. They just basically fell over with with a massive heart attacks. And so I remember that. And after my father had died, it just sort of got me. You know, it made me not care about things the way a lot of younger people do. I was uh, uh, a senior in high school and. I don't know. I just didn't care much after that. I thought I was going to be next. But long story short, I started to exercise and to really start to get more fit, thinking that maybe that I wouldn't have those issues if I did that, you know, and just kind of uh, read a little bit and learn a little bit. I was studying a guy that was kind of keeping in touch with this guy's uh, books and his writings. Uh, his name was Jim Fix. 
And Jim Fix was this kind of fitness guru back then in those days. He was a runner and he talked about running and the importance of exercise and, and your health. So I was really kind of into what he was talking about. And there was other people also talking about it back then. But this guy, you know, felt like if you if you ran and exercised, did a lot of cardio, you know, you could pretty much do anything else you wanted because his father had died of a heart attack too. So he, you know, thought he had kind of life by the tail also, kind of like me. So, you know, I go to the office one day and I'm, I'm sitting there and I grab the newspaper and I start looking at this newspaper and I'm like, my God, what am I reading here? And it was Jim Fix dies of a heart attack while he's running. And I'm like, oh, my God, how can this happen? This is the guy I've been thinking that he's the guy I should be kind of following and, and using his life as an example. So here this guy, he's running, he fell, falls over on the side of the road with a heart attack. And it just floored me. And I was like, oh, my God, you know, maybe I better look at what I'm doing. Maybe I'm not doing everything I need to be doing. So I got to thinking about this and I said, you know, I probably should go get checked out a little better. And, um, you know, I was 32 years old at this point in my life and thought I was in great shape. But anyway, I go in and I got one of these stress tests from a, a internal medicine doctor. And he's and I was living in a small town north of Houston. And this guy was the guy you'd go to uh, for this kind of test. So I go in to see the doctor and he says, well, let's get let's check you out. Let's get you on this uh, treadmill here test. And he got me on that test and he said, oh, my goodness. He said, you're in tremendous shape because I was running about 60 miles a week back then and, and working out in the in the gym and doing all this stuff and eating pretty much a vegetarian diet eating salads most of the time because I was trying to keep my weight down so I could on the weekends go running these these little uh these 10ks and these half marathons and I was doing that a lot and kind of it was sort of my hobby I guess but I go in there and do this test he says my god you he said you've broke the record you broke the all-time record in our office no one's ever done this well he said your heart is in tremendous shape he said, I wouldn't worry about anything. He said, just keep doing what you're doing. He says, you're you're going to live a long time if you if you stay in this kind of shape. So I felt real good about that. And uh, he, you know, he did a thorough checkup and all this stuff. And and he says, uh, well, there's not anything I would change. But he said, there's only one thing that I see. He says, you've got a mole on your back. He says, this mole looks a little different. It's kind of odd shaped. He said, uh, I wouldn't worry about it. It's probably nothing. But he said, when you get a chance uh, for too long, go in the dermatologist's office and just have him look at it and get checked out. Well, I didn't think much about it because he didn't act like he thought anything about it other than just, you know, that's the only thing I could even see that maybe you want to get checked. So I go in to see this dermatologist a, a few weeks later. I go in and dermatologist comes in. He says, uh, take your shirt off, please. And took my shirt off, showed him what I was talking about. And he says, oh, my goodness. He jumps back and he says, oh, I think you've got melanoma. He just like that, just came out and said that. And I had heard of melanoma, didn't know much about it. 
other than I knew it wasn't something you wanted to have. But he said, melanoma, he said, this could be very serious. This could kill you if we don't get rid of it. And he says, we need to do a, some surgery really quick because I think that's what it is. He says, I'm almost positive. He said, we'll probably have to remove a large portion of the tissue on your back. So he says, you know, that's all you could really do. Well, I didn't like his bedside manner because he was so excited, like he won the lottery or something. And it's it scared me. And I thought, man, I don't know if I want to mess with this guy very much. So I told him, I said, doctor, I think I'll uh, get back to you in a few days. I'm going to, you know, look, look into this a little more. And so I decided then that I needed to get another opinion. And I was, I mean, I was just floored, you know, just, it was scared that fool out of me. And so I went home and talked to my wife and I, and, and she agreed we need to get another opinion. So I went to a dermatologist that I'd gone to in the past and, and uh, he says to me, he says, well, it looks, you know, a little bit suspicious to me also. He says, uh, my wife had melanoma and he said it was stage one. It was early stage. He said, she hasn't had another problem with it. We removed it and she's never had another problem. And he said, chances are, if it is, it's probably stage one, you know, so don't get too upset about it. Just try not to worry about it. But he says, you know what? I've got a good friend and he's world renowned. He's an oncologist mm -hmm. and he's down in at the uh, medical center downtown in Houston. He said, if anybody would know about this or if you had anybody to remove this, he'd be the guy. So he says, let's send you down there. Well, I thought, well, this 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 is what I should do. And I felt fortunate that I get to go to somebody like that. And so I went down there to see this guy and he goes, well, it's a little suspicious to me also. And he says, I can't really tell you what it is until we really remove it here. And why don't we just do that? We can do that here in the office. So. He took a big plug out of my back, a pretty good size square plug, and and uh, he told me, he says, look, he says, uh, I'm going to send this to the lab. And he says, I'll be able to get a hold of you in a few days and let you know what this is. He said, go home. Don't worry. Chances are it won't be anything. So just go about your regular life. Don't worry. Well, of course I was worried. You know, I was like just a went from this guy that thought he had life by the tail, this guy that was scared to death. I mean, that's how I am. I hear people sitting there and say, oh, it didn't scare me. I knew I'd find a way, but it scared me. So I was one of those that was. You've had, I mean, your father passing away, and then you had this other guy that was yeah. like your symbol of fitness, and then him passing away. So you're thinking, here are two of your power figures, mm -hmm. and they couldn't do it. So right. why would you be able to do it? Yeah. 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 So I went home and I started talking about, you know, like, uh, I sure hope it's nothing and all that. And you couldn't sleep very well at night and all that. But it was almost two weeks before he calls me back. Mm -hmm. And that seemed like a long time. I was sitting there pacing the floors for two weeks. So he calls me up and he says, James, he says, this is Dr. So-and-so. And he says, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news. And I was one of those kind of calls. And he says, well, the good news is it's melanoma. And I went, good news. And he goes, wait a minute now. The good news is that we think we've got it all. 
there wasn't any cancer cells around that perimeter of this this incision. Yeah. He says, so we think that's a good thing. We think we got it all. Yeah. But he says the bad news is that it was very deep. And he said it was deep into the tissue. And that means that it's more likely to spread into other areas of the body, into other organs, et cetera. And he says this cancer can be very aggressive and very, very dangerous. And we've got to really keep an eye on it. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, so we're going to call it stage four because of the depth of it. And he says that means that we've got to have you come in every three months We'll check you out. We'll check your lymph nodes. We'll check all that to make sure nothing has spread. You know, that's usually where it'll go, one of the places first. So he said, don't worry. Just keep living your life. There's nothing you can do right now. Just don't worry. And, I mean, I was worried sick, you know. just How, just, how wouldn't you worry? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I was. And, four. And, <laughs> and, and, again, you know, I just – I was like this guy that was kind of happy-go-lucky and ambitious and all that. Well, I just lost everything then. I didn't care. You know, I wasn't the same guy my wife married, I can tell you that. Mm -hmm. And I just, we started talking to different doctor friends of ours, and they would say, oh, you know, stage four melanoma, you know, you'd be lucky if you live three years. I mean, they tell you that. (laughs) So I'm like, oh, my God. You know, it's like we hope not, but that's kind of how it is with this stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, here I am, 32 years old, had all these plans, and now I'm thinking that, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do here. So I get going to the doctor. I went two different times, three months and another three months. No problem. So I go home here uh, not too long after that, and I felt this lump in my growing. Felt like a marble, like a large marble. And I thought, man, what is this? I haven't felt that. You know, I was in the shower. And I got really scared at that point, and I called the doctors, and he said, look, come on in. It's probably nothing. It's probably just, you know, maybe you bumped yourself or something. Let's come on in. We'll check it out. So I go in. He looks at it and he goes, well, yeah, it could be something, but let's don't worry about it right now. He said, go on home and come and see me in three months. Let's see what happens in three months. Well, he started getting bigger, and I called him up, and I said, you know, this is really bothering me. It's getting bigger. And he says, well, you better come back in, and let's look at it. And he says, I think we need to do some surgery and see what this is. So he goes in the next morning, early in the morning, and he does his surgery. And he says before, I remember him saying, chances are it's probably nothing. It probably won't be anything. It's, you know, but we'll just do a little bitty incision. It probably won't be much. You just want to see what that is. And uh, he said, uh, we'll talk to you when you wake up, you know. And so I woke up, you know, you know how when you do surgery, it feels like it just happened. You just went to sleep and woke up. I woke up. I knew I was in trouble because I had all these bandages all over me. It wasn't some little incision. You know, it was all my whole growing was just bandaged up. And I had a tube hanging out of my leg. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know, this isn't good. So here comes the doctor shortly after that. And he says, well, I'm sorry to tell you this cancer spread and it spread to your lymphatic system. It's in your lymph nodes. We removed all your major lymph nodes in your in your growing. And he says, chances are we'll have to remove more down the road because it's spread and it's probably gonna, it's pretty aggressive. So we've got to really 
you know, get aggressive with it. He says, I want you to do 80 chemotherapy treatments. And it was experimental. Hypothermia. Did you say 80? 80. And he said it's hypothermia, you know, back then. This was, I mean, this is a long time ago. You hear more about that nowadays. But so they were going to elevate my temperature as high as they could and then basically, you know, give me the chemotherapy uh, drugs. But this whole process would take about eight to 10 hours a day in the hospital because they give you the IV and the typhoid serum until you're, you know, they're freezing to death and jumping up and down almost in the, in the, bed and then they give you the the iv so that's what they would do and then now i had to use a limp drainage pump because i had all these lymph nodes removed my leg was twice as big as the other one already from all the the lymph fluid draining into my leg so he says you got to do this if you don't do this you could lose your leg so i'm like i don't want to lose my leg my gosh i might lose my life though here Mm -hmm. so i'm sitting there you know, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do here? And the doctor says to me, he says, well, I mean, this is all all there is to do. And I'm like, well, you know, what are my chances with all this? And he goes, well, you know, they don't like to tell you. And he goes, well, you know, and I kind of got it out of him, you know, and I just wanted to know what, what he thought from his experience. He goes, from my experience, he says, uh, if you can get through these chemotherapy treatments, he says you got a, a 20% chance of surviving three to five years. If you can get through the chemo. Yeah, yeah. And you, if, then you have. <laughs> yeah, because the chemo was, you know, let, let's say we're going to do five treatments. Mm-hmm. And then every two months, another five treatments. And another two months, another five treatments. Because it was so toxic that it took you two months to get over to where you, you know, get over the nausea and get all the you know, and your hair and all this stuff. And, you know, so that's what they wanted to do. But he says, first, we got to get through this, this surgery. Mm-hmm. And that's going to take about three weeks or so for you to heal up from this surgery. And we'll just keep you in the hospital. And then after that, we'll give you uh, the chemotherapy, which you'll be in another week. And that's, that's the plan going forward. So I knew it wasn't good. And, you know, 20% chance from a, a guy when he's 32 years old, you know, I've heard people say three months. Well, that's, you know, that's really bad, but still it's not a lot of time. So I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm thinking, I got to do something. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I'm laying there, you know, for several days, all depressed and just not knowing what to do. And uh, people come visit and I'm like, you know, down in the dumps, you know, and, and, uh, so I'm laying there and all of a sudden I got a phone call one day and this phone call was from a minister at a church that I went to from time to time. Mm-hmm. And he, his name was Ron Sumter. I remember him like it was yesterday and he used to be a runner too. And he was older than me, but he, he had been a professional baseball player, just a wonderful guy, you know, kind of like, knock heads with anything that gets in your way kind of guy, you know, and he, you know, he, he was very motivating kind of guy, but he calls me up on the phone. He says, listen here, James, I heard about your cancer. And he says, I've been praying for you and people in town have been praying for you and people, the church, all that. He says, I want to tell you something right now. I know you, he says, you're a tough guy. And if anybody can beat this, you can. He says, you don't give in to this. He says, 
you get down and you knock heads with this. He says, if anybody can beat it, you can. He kept saying that. And he says, you beat this SOB in cancer. And he didn't say it like that, but, you know, and I just like, whoa, you know, it got my attention the way he said it. And then I felt like I was on a sports team, you know, and this guy was getting all over us at halftime, mm-hmm. kind of like, you know, you guys are really screwing up and you get out there and you can beat these guys and da, da, da. So that's how I felt. So I related a little bit to that. It just got my attention. It really did. And I thought, I can't feel sorry for myself any longer. I got to do something here. I got to make something happen. I don't know what, but I guess the next thing after that, I started to pray and I prayed and I wasn't a guy that prayed a lot. I wasn't a necessarily really religious guy like some people, but I started to pray and I prayed like I never, it's a weird kind of thing. I never prayed like that. And I felt I was just like out of body experience. And I felt like every cell in my body was desperately praying for help. And I, I just, you know, I never felt like that. I think it was probably partly out of fear, partly out of desperation, partly out of, out of just the real need for help here. And, and I did. And I tell you what, when I, I was just wanting answers, something that would give me something I could do other than what they had told me. And, uh, you know, so all of a sudden, maybe 20 minutes after that prayer, I got a knock on the door. And here comes through the door in the hospital room, a friend of mine I hadn't seen in seven years from college. And he said, James, he says, I'm sorry, but, you know, I had to hear about you. And I heard from some of our old buddies, you know, that you were in here and you had this this terrible cancer and all this. And he said, I just uh, was driving around the area, around the medical center area, and he says, I didn't know if I should come in here or not, but a friend of a friend of mine at work gave me an article about a guy that cured himself with a diet and lifestyle. And he said, I thought that might be an interesting thing for you to see. And he comes through that door with that and he's waving the papers around. And he says, you know, I don't know anything about it, but I said, his name was Ronnie. I said, Ronnie, I'm going to do exactly what's in your hand. He goes, what do you mean? You don't even know what's in there. And I said, I'm going to do it. And I said, he says, how can you do it if you haven't read it yet? And I said, I'm going to read it, but I know I'm supposed to do that. I said, this came from the higher place. This is, this is my answer to getting well. And he says, wow. He says, uh, I hope you really, I hope you're right. And anyway, so he, he gave me this thing. I started to read it. It was about a guy that had healed himself of prostate cancer with a, a macrobiotic diet and lifestyle. Well, I didn't know what that was. What's a macrobiotic diet and lifestyle? I never heard of, you know, never, any of this stuff. And I knew who the guy was because he was a guy that was on a, a TV show called The A-Team. And uh, you, you remember that? You remember yeah, that? Yeah. Was it Murdoch or was it? Uh... Uh, it was the guy they called Face. Okay. Yeah. yeah. He, he yeah. was a blonde-headed guy, good-looking guy, blonde-headed. Uh-huh. The, young, the younger guy. And okay. anyway, they called yeah. him Face. That's back in the 80s. Yeah, I remember that show. Anyway, his name was Dirk Benedict. And Dirk Benedict was an actor, of course. And he, and he had a story and he wrote this book. And this was the book review that this guy had that he brought in. This article was a book review of this Dirk's book. And it's about how he used macrobiotics to save his life. Well, I knew then 
that if he could do it, then why couldn't I do it? And, you know, I'm going to do this. I'll just do it. I mean, I like this guy because he was from Montana and he grew up on a ranch. Well, I was from Texas and had a little ranch. So I felt like, and you know, I got a lot of ranching in my background and my, my uh, grandfathers and every, all of them were ranchers. And so I felt like me and him could get along here. So I think I'm going to do this. And I didn't have to think. It was just like, I'm going to do this. And I had my friend, can you go out and get this book? He says, well, I'll go see if I can find it. Well, he did find it. He brought it back that afternoon in the, in the hospital and I couldn't put it down. I was very excited, very excited. So well, you, now you, you, I had this you had hope. Three weeks to, you had three weeks to implement it. <laughs> yeah. So now I got all this hope yeah. and I'm like excited. Like I got something to do and forget all this other stuff. I can do this. Yeah. So, you know, my whole thought was I'll do this and I'll do the chemotherapy. You know, I'll do it all because if the little's good, a lot's better. So here I am all excited. And then the next morning I got another knock on the door and it was my stepmother. And she comes through the door and she's had a book in her hand. And she says, oh, I, uh, you know, one of our relatives sent us this book here, sent me this book and wanted me to give it to you. And it was a, it was a book on vitamin C and cancer. And it was written by Linus Pauling. And uh, I got so excited because I started to read this and I saw how these people were taking high dose vitamin C and a lot of them were terminally ill people and they did very well. As long as they took the vitamin C, a lot of them would, would stick around. And some of them even got well. So I got excited. The other, the guy on the book was Ewan Cameron. So, you know, they, they did this book together, but I didn't know Linus Pauling back then. But I got excited because it made so much sense to me after reading it. I couldn't put these books down. And I'm, a, I'm laying there and I'm thinking, I'm going to do the vitamin C. I'll do the macrobiotic diet and lifestyle. And I'll do this, the conventional medicine treatments because, you know, that's, I'm going to hit it on all angles. So I'm laying there and the next morning I got another knock on the door. It's a weird thing after this prayer, whether it came from the prayer, or it just all happened for me. It's kind of like God is, is doing it in stages. You know, here, let's give you this, let yeah. you digest that a little bit. And then I'll give you the next thing. And yeah. And it was, so I'm really excited. And this fellow comes through the door and I didn't know who he was. And he says, well, I'm the psychotherapist. He says, I heard you were very depressed. And he said, you know, you, there's a lot you can do and all this stuff. He said, can I come back and talk to you in the morning? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, yeah, you can come talk to me. And, and uh, so he came back the next morning, he comes in the door and I asked him right off the bat, have you ever heard of something called macrobiotics? And he said, uh, excuse me. And he started going towards the door. And I thought, I guess he's, I said the wrong thing. He's out of here. And he went out, to, out, looked in down the hall came in, shut that door tight because the door was open. He shut that door tight and he came back in and he sat down next to me. He says, yes, I have heard of macrobiotics. He says, I'll tell you what I know, but you've got to promise me that you won't tell the soul. I don't want to lose my job. I don't want to lose my pension and all that. And I said, oh, no, I won't tell anybody. Of course, you know, now I'm excited because this guy's doing all this. There must be something really to this. So he started to tell me, he says, look, I've known several people that have gotten well from this diet, just eating this diet and changing their lifestyle. And, and some people have a hard time because it's not an easy diet. You got to do a lot of things, you know, it's a lot of cooking and all that. And you got to roll up your sleeves. He said, I couldn't do it. I tried to do it myself just for general health and I couldn't stick with it. But he said, 
people do well if they stick with it. And it's, it, you know, it's not an easy fix. It's a good diet. It makes sense to me. And he says, you know, by the way, you don't seem too depressed after all. And I said, well, I'm learning some things here and, and I'm kind of excited about it. And he goes, well, he says, you seem like the kind of guy could do this. He said, just remember there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. And always remember those words. Well, I've always remembered those words, you know, for people and that I've talked to. And so I got really excited now when he left and I said, I'm going to do the, I'm going to do the, you know, the macrobiotic diet and the vitamin C and I'll do the other the conventional stuff. So I started off doing the first treatment. It made me so sick and so weak. I was already pretty weak from all the surgery and stuff, but you know, I did it. I got through it. So I went home and tried to start eating a little bit of the macrobiotic diet, but I was so nauseous and sick. It was very hard, but I tried to eat beans and rice, you know, just simple. So I went back home and my, with my stepmother and she did her best to help cook for me. And, but after two months, I went back to uh, the hospital because now it's time to get more chemotherapy. So I go back in and I mean, they must have doubled or tripled it because I'd never been so sick in my life. And I was getting, I lost a lot of weight and I was really thin. And the doctor came in one day and he says, how are you doing? And I said, I, doctor, I'm so sick. I can't even keep anything in. I'm, you know, it's the sickest I've ever been in my life. And he goes, well, I'm sorry to tell you, your body's just not responding. We had hoped that you would respond better, but you haven't. He said, either people respond or they don't. And I said, well, isn't there something else I could do? He goes, no, not really. There's nothing I know to do, you know, with this stuff. And I said, well, what would you do for your son or daughter? And he goes, I'd do the same thing. And I said, well, what if it if they were, you know, not responding? And he goes, well, that's all. I'd do the same and I said, well, I could die from this stuff. People are dying in the hallways at night. Every night they're rolling people out because I think it's the chemotherapy. It's so toxic to their system. And the doctor says, well, you know, we're all going to die someday. And you know what? I was pretty weak and thin and all that. I mean, but I, I jumped up, I raised up in the bed and I said, listen here. And I sit there just like that. I said, listen here, you SOB. And I didn't say it like that. I said, if I could get out of this bed, I would tear you apart. I mean, I, this is true. And I'd tear you apart. And that guy looked like he'd seen a ghost and he ran out that door. I never saw that doctor ever again because the next night I snuck out of the hospital at two in the morning and I, I made up my mind then I'm not going to do this. This is going to kill me. You know, I'm not saying some people don't, do well with, I have done okay, I'm sure. But it did not agree with me. And I said, I'm getting out of here and I'm never going to look back and I'm going to go all out. I'm going to do this macrobiotic diet. I'm going to do high amounts of vitamin C and I'm going to keep my mind open to, for new things I can find. And I'm going to uh, give it 150%. If it doesn't work for me, I'm not going to feel bad about myself. I'm going to feel like I did everything I could. And, uh, and that's what I did. And I, I mean, I just never looked back and gosh, it's been, you know, I've, you know, after doing everything, it's been 37 years this, this year from when I first was diagnosed over 35 from the, the last time I had any issues. Let me get this straight. So you get, you were, you said 35 when you were diagnosed with this thing and that was 37 years ago. 
So that means that you're 37, 37 years ago, I was diagnosed and 35 plus years since I was there in the hospital. Okay. So that, that puts you then at almost 70 years old. Yes, I am. I'm 69 now. You do not look, you do <laughs> not look 69 well, years old. <laughs> I done tried to take care of myself uh, all these years. And I, you know, it's impossible to be as strict as I was at the beginning, of course. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I decided back then when I did this macrobiotic diet, I mean, it was powerful for me. And I, I ended up living in a macrobiotic community on the East Coast. Uh, I worked and lived with uh, Michio Kushi, which was a, back in, in those days was the guru, kind of the, the guru. And I, he had a center out there and I worked there and lived there. And, and I'm telling you, you know, I saw some people that did very well and some didn't. But as that psychotherapist told me, he said people that did not roll up their sleeves and do the work didn't do as well. You know, because they the immune system is really not in good shape and you're very toxic. And you, as you know, you got to get all this stuff out. And the macrobiotic diet, which you don't hear a lot about anymore, but and, uh, you know, it's, it's like a broom. I mean, it starts to push toxins out. If it's done right, and you chew your food and you, you know, it's got the fermented foods in there, you know, and, you know, there's a lot of art to the cooking. You know, you know, you can destroy the good bacteria in the foods if you overcook things, but there's a balance with it all. But, you know, it's very detoxifying, all that fiber, prebiotics, you know, it's amazing diet. And I've seen people just unbelievable stories about people back in those days that had ca cancer and a lot of them would live 20, 30 years or whatever. Maybe they're still living. I don't know some of them, but but they did very well and and they didn't even take a lot of supplements or anything like I do nowadays. You know, I take a lot, I do so many things and I don't follow that strict macrobiotic diet. Now I kind of more of a, it's almost like a paleo diet, you know, kind of a low sugar, low carbs diet. And I tried to follow that for years. I mean, it's a little different, but it's similar diet but it's amazing i mean what you can do if you just everything in moderation you know exercise stay in shape eat a healthy diet keep the sugar out down low you know every once in a while you enjoy yourself go on a vacation do something have some fun but you know you get right back on it you know when you're going through the cancer thing at the beginning you got to be you got to you know tighten things up you know as you know i mean you work with people every day you got to tighten things up and get your health under control, get the cancer in the back seat and get ahead of it. So I'm, I'm curious. So you did the microbiotic diet and yeah, it was, it was huge. I remember back in the eighties, nineties, and you're right. I don't hear much about it any anymore, even though there are so many people that get great results from it at that mm -hmm. time. So did you, you're mentioning the vitamin C. I mean, how did you implement that? Did you do a bunch of uh, vitamin C IVs at the time? Was it available much at that time or? I didn't do vitamin C IVs at the time. Uh, I did as much vitamin C as I could get put down my throat, you know, okay. and I did uh, a time released vitamin C that I found that was slowly released because, you know, vitamin C, you know, you just, it just goes right through you if it's not absorbed very well. But 
I didn't know what I was doing, to tell you the truth. I was living in Dallas, Texas when I started all this. And and I would go down to the uh, Whole Foods, which was there. I think that was one of the earlier stores. Mm-hmm. I would go down there and just buy every bit of vitamin C I could. And I tried to find a vitamin C that was time-released and that was buffered, you know, so it was easier on my st- ascorbic acid and everything. But I did that, and I did the diet, and I exercised. At the time, I was so weak, I couldn't really – I was a runner and for years, and I didn't run much anymore because of that surgery, my leg was really sore and would swell. And so I thought, well, I can't really, and then walking was hard, but I, I'd go out every morning and walk. It was harder. But so I decided if I get a bicycle, you know, I can bike. If I can get my leg over the top bar, I can bike and it's easier on me. So I, I rode a hundred miles a week, you know, on the bicycle around a place up there and white rock lake is what it was called and i'd go around and around that a few times till it was you know every several times a week so i did that and then i took my vitamin c and you know throughout the day and my and i never i mean i was so strict on that diet and i chewed my food 180 times a mouthful which sounds crazy but they always say 50 times you know it's best to chew your food 50 well i thought well i'll do it over three times more (laughs) Because, you know, a little's good, a lot's better. So I would sit there and chew this because I read some things about how when you food, uh, chew your food, the liquid kicks in those those amylase, the enzymes and everything starts to. So I'd chew it and I'd sit there, you know, like that. Well, it'd take an hour just to have a plate of food. But I did that. I didn't see anybody else doing that. But I when I lived at this place, I was known for that. And and I'd hike every day and I'd hike up in the mountains and around there and and well, I don't I mean, care if it was 10 or 20 below zero, I'd still go out. That's awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, one thing that a lot of people don't recognize, you have the product glands, you know, that, that produce the saliva when you chew and a lot of these enzymes, but what the product glands do, I mean, it, it also supports detoxification of chemicals and heavy mm-hmm. metals. And, you know, so it really helps in that purification process in addition to then uh, heightening the levels of enzyme in your body to break down things like viruses, pathogens, cancer, uh, old tissue, all these kind of things. So, yeah. yeah so it, it really, I mean, growing up, you know, my mom told me you got to chew it a hundred times, but you know, I never listened, but it, it, there's a lot of truth to that. Well, you know, I don't chew that much anymore. I should, but when I go out to dinner with somebody, I'm always the last person, you know, they're, they're always like, man, this guy eats slow. But I mean, most people are just, I can't believe how fast they eat. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, they're just like, I mean, yeah. you know, and then they're not satisfied. So then they want more and more and more. So, I mean, it's, you know, as the older you get, the harder it is to, you know, it's just everything, you know, it seems like everything in excess doesn't leave as quickly. So for people, so they start to get, gain weight and you know i see that but yeah it's it's amazing but i just saw a lot of people when they did certain things right they did better and they start to believe once you start to believe in how well you feel after about three months on this diet and the vitamin c and everything i started to feel like a different person i started to feel high almost like a natural high and i was like man i you know i just get giggly you know i felt so good I ate so many greens and all these cruciferous vegetables, you know, I mean, just saturated my body with cruciferous vegetables and soups and, and most of the protein was beans. So, 
you know, like small beans, like adukis and and lentils and and chickpeas and things. You know, those were kind of our staple. That and of course we ate a lot of brown rice and a mix of other grains. But these were whole grains, and people think, oh, well, that's carbs, it's high carbs. But to me, it seems to work different. And nowadays, with all the cadmium and arsenic in the grains, you got to soak your grains overnight now and strain them and I've interviewed some of the top macrobiotic teachers in the world that are still out there still, you know, and, and this is what they're doing. Cause I ask them about that. People always say, so, well, what about this? And what about that? It is, it does seem to work well, but, but back then I just was all new to me and my body was just so excited to, to have real nutrition and start to taste foods the way that you're supposed to taste the food and not be just overly seasoned and all this stuff that everybody does. Mm -hmm. And you start to get satisfied with just a, a winter squash soup or something because it's sweet, you know, to most people, they think it's bland, but it gets to where it's so sweet and it satisfies that sweet taste. And, you know, the macrobiotic diet was known for that different foods, you know, uh, stimulating different organs and this and that. But the thing about it, yeah, it was really good. So tell, tell me a little bit about kind of where, because you're, you're providing huge information. I mean, you're you know, interviewing these uh, macrobiotic leaders you know, in, in the world. Uh, and then I know you've written books as well. So mm-hmm. for people that are wanting to tap in more to learn, you know, what you found out through your journey, where can they go and, and find that out? Well, you can go. I've got a book. I used to have cancer how I found my own way back to health. And this is my story. This is what I did back then. It tells you everything I did and everything I would do if I had to do it over because I've learned a lot over the last 30 plus years of things that people are doing and things that that are working for people and things that I do now, you know, and uh, you can also check me out at Templeton Wellness, templetonwellness.com. That's my foundation, my cancer I guess it's pretty much cancer oriented at this point foundation. And we, I interview people that have had stories similar to mine, people that have gone through uh, a lot of late stage cancer, like stage four, uh, and they've survived for 10, 15, 20, 30 years. A lot of them, even pancreatic cancer, which people think is incurable, but it's not the case if you get on the right program and you do the work. But also check out my restaurant guide, Templeton List. TempletonList.com is is a guide we have with our foundation. It's the healthiest restaurants in America. It's the healthiest organic farm-to-table restaurants that we've vetted all around the country. There's over 3,000 restaurants. So I always like to let people know that if you're traveling or you want to take a vacation, this is a lot better. It's what I do. I go to, I find one or two or three in the area and I go to them and, and I do pretty well. You have to learn to ask questions. You have to learn that, Hey, I can't eat, you know, this or that. So, you know, most of the time they'll work with you, but you know, if you're going through cancer, I always like to say my opinion is, you know, eat at home most of the time because you, you can really fully control what you put in your, your body, but diet detox supplementation is the key. And I talk about all this in my book. I love it. Well, James, thank you so much for sharing your story. Thank you so much for everything that you do to bring hope to people that that are struggling with, with this challenging face in their life. Thank you so much.
Well, thank you. Thank you for what you do, Dr. Carfeld. I mean, you're, you're really a master at what you do, and I appreciate you too. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, it's all, all about teamwork and doing it together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. Thanks. The information this podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not designed to diagnose or treat any disease. I hope this podcast impacted you as it did me. Please subscribe so that you can be notified when new episodes are released. There are some excellent shows coming up that you do not want to miss. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please take a moment to write a review. And please don't keep this information to yourself. Share them with your family and friends. You never know what piece of information that will transform their lives. For past episodes and powerful information on how to conquer cancer, go to integrativecancersolutions.com. If you would like to know more about the cutting-edge integrative oncology therapies my center offers, please visit thecarlfeldcenter.com. Thank you for spending this time with us, and I hope to see you at our next episode of Integrative Cancer Solutions with Dr. Carl Feldt.